Okay, so you painted a pretty dark picture in terms of challenges for the church. Um, and as youth, um, either in college, just graduated, how do we balance being servants in the church and also being people who may also struggle with these challenges? Uh, as I said, actually, although the challenges, as you said, portray the dark picture, but I want to remind you, these challenges are like strong wind. But it will make actually our faith to extend the roots more deeply if we address these challenges in the proper way. And God who is with us and the truth that is on our side is stronger than any challenge that we may face. I am just mentioning these challenges to, to make all of us aware and to understand the magnitude of the responsibility to defend and to protect our faith. But how to balance between serving uh, in our churches and uh, addressing these challenges? I think we ourselves, we need to be strong in our relationship with God. Then when we are strong in our relationship with God, uh, through uh, good time management and through uh, not dividing my life into two different lives, a life in the church and life in the school. Actually, wherever I go, I am a light. The light of Christ is shining through me. I am soul to the earth, whether in a school, whether in my home, whether among my friends, so wherever I go. So in this way, actually, I will not have a problem to balance between uh, my time uh, in the church, serving in the church, and also uh, in, in facing these challenges. Yes, we need to study, to, to actually dedicate some time to study in the field of apologetics, to uh, try to understand these challenges and to respond to it. But through the grace of God, we will be able to do it if we have good time management and also our relationship with God is strong. So anytime we are uh, soul to the earth and light to the world. I don't know if I understood your question correctly or not, but... No, that was, that was um, hitting exactly what I was trying to get at. Um, so we talked about all of these challenges and you said these are the challenges affecting the Orthodox Church. So if we just look at a parish that isn't just the youth, that is every member of that body that is worshiping. And a lot of times that could be multicultural, whether it's you know different cultures or even multicultural in the sense of immigrants versus second, third generation. Um, so how do we uh, work with other generations within the church 
to address these issues or other cultures within the church to address these issues and not work against each other. What is the common factor among all of us who are Christian or Orthodox? Whether we are Syrian or Armenian or Indian or Ethiopian or Eritrean or Egyptian, all of us who are Christian. So if we thought about this citizenship, as St. Paul said in his letter to the Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. So my citizenship is heavenly being on earth. That's our citizenship according to St. Paul. So all of us will be united regardless of our culture, regardless of our background. Because the same scripture that was given to the Ethiopian is the same given to the Armenian, same given to the Indian, same given to the Coptic, etc. So that's about the culture. But we need also to understand the different culture. When actually I speak with a person from another culture, nothing wrong if I ask him, educate me about your culture. How we address this issue in your culture? Because uh, this will enrich my knowledge. And we need to respect uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in different cultures. What do I mean by this? I can speak about the spirituality of the Coptic Church, the spirituality of the Indian Orthodox Church, the spirituality of the Syrian Orthodox Church, spirituality of the Eritrean. When I say a spirituality of, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And I cannot actually limit the Holy Spirit in his work to a certain module. The Holy Spirit is God. So actually I need to learn about different cultures and how the Holy Spirit is working in this culture. That's the first part of the question. But about the responsibility of generation, actually the importance of teaching in very, very young age and this is the importance of teaching the children in their homes by their parents and also in the church through Sunday school and other educational programs. Uh, parents should be ready and prepared to educate their children. And the churches should have a very strong curriculum to the young children. Because whatever we learn in our childhood will remain with us the rest of our life. But sometimes when we neglect the education in younger age, and then when they become adolescent, and they are faced with all these challenges, and we try to address them, it will be difficult. I'm not saying impossible, but it will be difficult. So we need to prepare the children from their very, very young age and plant them in the house of God and let them build a personal relationship with God. But how do you... So 
let's say that child has been brought up and that relationship has been built and they go into the parish and a group of these children see the problems that need to be addressed and they are called to work and to serve um, and there's pushback within the church for the youth serving or the youth kind of doing it in their own way by the older generation or whoever. How do we go about that without causing division? This is also the responsibility of the hierarchy of the church. Understanding that you are the future of the church. So as long as you have the sound doctrine and as long as you are rooted in, in the church, we need to give you opportunity to start serving in the church. So that's the responsibility of the hierarchy of the church and the leaders of the church. Sometimes older generation, they don't want to give this responsibility because they are concerned about whether they have the sound doctrine or not, they are established in the church well or not. That's why I said, as long as we know that our youth, they are not preaching their own gospel, but they are preaching the holy and sacred uh, tradition that was handed to us from the Lord Jesus Christ to the disciples, to us, and they are rooted in their spiritual life, we need to give them opportunity. I will conclude by a saying by His, Pope, by his Holiness Pope Shenouda. He used to say, Church without youth is a church without future. Church without youth is a church without future. And His Grace Bishop Musa, he said, and youth without the church are also youth without future. So church without youth are a church without future, and youth without church are youth without future. I have another question. How do we as college students play a more active role in creating this change and protecting the faith, especially on campuses, when it may not be seen as love? We need actually to define love. For example, if you are driving from point A to point B, and you have to drive uh, toward the north to reach point B, and someone whom you love and care about very much is driving south, not north, but you want to reach B. What's love here? Is love to let him drive south and get lost? Or to tell him you are driving in the wrong direction? And then we guide him to the right direction. St. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, he said, Speaking truth and love. When we speak the truth in loving way, then actually... Uh, people will accept the truth. The truth will set us free, as the Lord Jesus Christ said. When the Lord Jesus Christ showed love to the Samaritan woman, and he addressed the truth to her, but in a loving way, she accepted the truth. Many times people don't accept the truth because we don't say it in a loving way. 
But love doesn't mean at all that I will change the truth or I twist the truth in order to fit the people's beliefs. This is not love. This is not love. So in campus, actually, you need actually to discuss all these issues, all these challenges, and you need to invite everybody and to be willing to answer all the questions and to address any question in a loving way without making fun of them or belittling them, although, and also without disrespecting their opinion or, or themselves. But usually truth prevails at the end. So kind of on that note, um, a lot of campuses are known to be very liberal and um, almost sometimes, and I, I feel like I can say this because I was in school in Austin, they can be aggressively liberal sometimes. And so when you speak truth, even in love, there could be a lot of backlash and there could be a lot of conflict. So how do we speak truth and in love, but stand for the faith without conflict? Or should we be concerned? No, we should not be concerned because the Lord Jesus Christ said, I did not come to bring peace, but to bring sword in Matthew chapter 10. So some people will be aggressive against Christianity. You know, we will not be aggressive. We will be peaceful. But some people will be, they don't like the truth. And they will aggressively attack us. And this is part of carrying our cross. When the apostles actually preached the truth, they were scourged, they were imprisoned, they were martyred, they were killed for the sake of the truth. You know, when they said to, to Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, because Agabus the prophet said, if you go to Jerusalem, you will be bound and, and, and be killed there. He said, why are you crying and why are you are weeping? You know, I am ready not only to be uh, beaten for the name of Christ, but to be killed for the name of Christ. And, and the Lord said, if you want to be my disciple, carry your cross and follow me. So, I will preach the truth in a loving way. The children of peace will accept it. But some people, like the scribe and Pharisees, they attack the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people will attack us and will be aggressively attacking us. We will accept their attacks in a peaceful way. We will not respond in aggression because Christianity is a peaceful religion. So the question here, are we willing to carry our cross to defend our faith like the apostles or not? And let us be honest with ourselves. Are we willing to carry our crosses to defend our faith or not? That was good. That was really good. Uh, next question. How do we view people who may be on the other side. So they may believe in the four different types of gender, or they may believe that God is oppressive and that, you know, all these different challenges and the people who are within those groups and who uh, identify within those groups, how do we look like, how do we see those people and look at those people? But then also how do we view the people who started in the church? 
and then joined these different groups or denounced the church or left. Definitely we will love them and will pray about them. And I personally, as the Bible teaches us, I perceive them as spiritually sick. So, like a person who is sick, for example, cannot see blind, cannot see. So, he is blind, physically. St. Paul said about these people, they are blind spiritually. They are blind. You can read it in Second Corinthians chapter 4. The God of this age has blinded them. So that's how I perceive them. They are spiritually blind. And we need to pray for them that God actually may heal them from this blindness in order to be able to see the truth. The truth is clear, but they are blinded. For example, if, if we're going to go back to the genders, you know, how a person can believe there are more than two genders. What is the evidence? I'm even I'm not speaking from religious point of view. What is the evidence here? It's just anything that's normal, it's attacked now. Anything that is logical, this attack now. So they are blind, but we love them. And because we love them, we pray for them that God may enlighten their mind and their understanding in order to know the truth. Because the truth will set them free. Next question. Do we feel that sometimes the church's stance has become on different things have, or the church in general has become overly political and should our eyes not always be on the Lord? The church leaders are fallible. We don't believe in orthodoxy, in the infallibility of the hierarchy of the church. So, sometimes, because of the fallibility, this might happen. The church became political or compromised faith or compromised sound doctrine. But always, always, the voice of truth is there. So even if some of the leaders of the church became political or compromising the faith to please people, but always the voice of truth is there. And this happened during the time of the apostle, when Peter became political and he complimented the Judaizers, those who want to impose Judaism on Christianity. St. Paul, in his letter to Galatians, said, I confronted him because he was wrong. And he confronted Barnabas also because of their hypocrisy. So Peter, one of the pillars of the church, you know, fell in this mistake. But Paul confronted him and was able to correct the situation. So this might happen, yes, might happen. You know, let me say something interesting here. Uh, I heard one time, uh, there is no perfect church on earth. Because all of us are fallible. 
So there is no perfect church on earth. And hypothetically, if there is a perfect church, I advise you not to go there. Why? Because once you step inside the church, you will make it imperfect because you are not perfect. <laughs> so leave it alone. I like it. All right. Next question is, um, how do we use globalization and humanitarianism in preaching our beliefs and holy traditions to others? Globalization and humanitarianism is actually philosophy. So, how can we use them to preach our gospel? Unless you are speaking about how the world became like one village, so we can share our gospel with people from every part in the world. But if you are speaking about the philosophy itself, the philosophy is anti-Christian, anti-Christianity. So I cannot use the, the philosophy, you know, to preach Christianity. But the technology made actually the whole world like one village. Like in this webinar, as you said, to have people from different countries, even have people from Australia with us in this webinar. So this actually can help us to spread the word easily to any person in the world. And what is the true understanding of humanism? God came for us, as Saint Athanasius says, God became son of man in order to make the son of the man son of God. So if you understand that becoming partaker in the divine nature in nature, it is through Christianity, only through Christianity. When Adam and Eve tried to be gods outside the economy of God, they fell. But God actually, in his love, wants us to be partakers of the divine nature. He became son of man in order to make us son of, children of God and to partake with him. So, we need to preach to the people, if you want to make yourself God, you cannot do it outside Christ, outside the love of God the Father, outside the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Through the work of the Holy Trinity in our life, we will be partaker in the divine nature. Clear? Great questions. A lot of our Oriental Orthodox youth uh, decide to follow uh, either Catholic churches or Eastern Orthodox churches. And what they say is all apostolic churches have the same sacraments. What, are we, what do we say to help them understand the purpose or the meaning behind our church? We know that there are differences between the Eastern family and the Oriental family. And also, there are more differences between Orthodoxy and Catholicism. Unity on faith should actually precede 
unity in practice. Communion is called communion, means we are in union. So how we are in union while we disagree on doctrines and basic things in, in, in our faith? So, thank God, a theological dialogue between Eastern family and Oriental family have started and actually they made a lot of progress. And also another dialogue started between Catholic Church and Orthodox Church. Unfortunately, recent, these dialogues are uh, like on a pause, (laughs) but we pray that this dialogue will be resumed and we pray for unity among all the churches. And unity of faith comes first before unity in baptism or sacrament or communion in general. Another question we have is, can you share specific techniques or practices for evangelism that you have seen uh, work on college campuses? I remember uh, about five years ago, we had the evangelism conference. Usually we had a yearly evangelism conference around the 4th of July. And we invited a very, very good speaker and he was asked the same question. So his answer was, I will tell you about a very successful technique of evangelism that all of you can do it. Just invite somebody to come to the church with you. You know, as simple as that. Just talk to somebody, invite him to come to a Bible study, to a youth meeting, to whisper. You know, just invite somebody to the church. When they will come, actually, and they will see the church, this will trigger more questions, and this will open a dialogue, and this can be opportunity for them to join the the Orthodox Church. Our youth in Tallahassee, about maybe 10 years ago or more, maybe 12 years ago, they invited somebody to come to the church. And he went to the church. And يعني, this triggered many questions. Gradually started to ask questions about the church. And ended up by joining the church. And not only joining the church, but now he is a monk in our monastery. So it started just by invitation. Simple invitation. But quickly... I can witness to God by word of mouth, by my conduct, by prayer for others, by our fellowship with one another, by serving others when, especially when they are in need, يعني, we are blessed this season with many hurricanes, so يعني, it's opportunity to, to, to serve others who are actually struggling uh, by by uh, persevering and carrying our cross uh, for the, the word of truth. But the most effective and easy way, just invite somebody to the church. Invite somebody to come, 
journey to Orthodox Church. And many people would be interesting to come and see. I, if I can add something to that, a great um, thing that people can do is if you're all in the same chapter, invite, make that Sunday a bring a friend day so that they're not the only ones who are not Orthodox in that church. And so that there's actually a group and then they get to know each other and learn together. Um, Wonderful. But uh, the last question for today is what advice would you give someone who wants to become Orthodox Christian? I will tell him, welcome home and uh, be a disciple to the early church fathers who kept the faith unchanged. And when I say early church fathers, because the whole world was in unity until 451. So my advice is study early church father uh, and don't drift away from the pearl that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to us and was kept for 450 years without change before the first division and first spread in the church in the Council of Chalcedon. Also, just if I can add a little bit. Also, I think any journey to anything is very hard without a community. So I think that, like, also find a community that is helping you in that process if that is something you're interested in, because it's harder to do alone, even for people in the church. Uh, it's very hard to do alone. Um, and so the rest of us, we should be that community for people who want to become Orthodox Christian. Uh, this is not possible without you. And like he said, um, Pope Shenouda said, a church without youth has no future and a youth without church also has no future. And you all are the youth. You all have great potential that God has given you. And so we thank you so much for being here. Uh, Sena, can you close us out for prayer? Finally, Lord, hear us when we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not temptation but deliver us, everyone, Christ Jesus, our Lord, for they have the kingdom, power, and glory forever and ever. Love of God the Father, the grace of His only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, communion and gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. May the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.